from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the GoodAtheist.net podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan is back. He's alive, everyone, and he's ready to do a show. How have you been, dude? How is the weather in Montreal? Well, that's what I was going to say is that I'm not back. I didn't go anywhere. You're the one that disappeared, and I'm still here. And it is it is cold, not just because it's cold in Canada, but because I also moved uh, like the office down to the basement. Uh, instead of it being in the living room, cluttering up our living styles, it's down where your room used to be. And, and I don't know how you live down here because... It is so cold, and, and the floor is like a mystical power that sucks the life force out of your feet. Yeah, well, I, was, I, I, I only used the room to sleep in, so my, my legs were all constantly, uh, you know, off the ground. So I, I, can, I can kind of understand what you're saying, but you, you know me, I, I never spent a lot of time in my room. My room was like the scariest place in the universe. Nothing on the walls, a fucking bed, and when it was clean... It essentially looked like a hospital bedroom, so there was really no reason to stay in there. Yeah, you uh, did not put your stamp on it whatsoever. <laughs> Have you started putting your stamp on your own place? Are you doing some stuff down there, or is it uh, just a serial killer-ish? Um, well, the whole thing about this place is that, uh, I mean, first of all, I'm not really going to get decorations. We're here for three months, and we're on the road again. But uh, it came decorated. I mean, above the bed is a, uh, is a painting which I'm constantly afraid is going to fall on me, but uh, that qualifies as decoration, I suppose. Everything sure. else, though, is, uh, is 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 kind of pretty plain and simple. But you know me, I kind of like that, you know? No shit on the walls, no fucking distracting trinkets and bullshit. Have you I'm done like, Have you done anything out there? Have you been in the water? Have you been frolicking in the ocean and enjoying yourself and enjoying the heat and enjoying the cheap alcohol, etc.? Well, you know what's funny? Up until about uh, just a day ago, I don't think actually living here kind of hit me really that much. Like, I, I think I was mostly in denial uh, due to stress. Because <laughs> moving around and changing your living environment is pretty stressful. And uh, also, you know, the, 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 there's a bunch of other things that I won't go into of what's stressful. But never, nevertheless, finally yesterday, I think I was able to kind of, it like hit me. I, I went out and just tried to enjoy myself, just sat down by, there's like a little restaurant that's like right on the beach. Because around here, they, they don't have walls like where we come from, Ryan. It's like there's no need for walls. They have roofs, but uh, it's like very open concept. And that that is so alien to me. This oh, is man. what I like about this place. Let, let, let me tell you what. When, uh, one time when I was going to Australia with my family as a kid, we, uh, we stopped over in uh, Hawaii and the airport had no walls. I'm sure now it's it's a very different situation because of security and stuff. But it was just a floor and a roof and no walls and just tiles telling you where to go. And that's just that's how it is out there, man. That's how it is. Yeah. Well, in Canada, you have to uh, you have to pretty much entomb everything so the cold air won't come inside and essentially kill you. So you won't die of exposure. So uh, I'm not exactly sad to be gone from that cold hellhole, but uh, it, yeah. was, it was a big adjustment. Dominican Republic was a good scam for the winter. I, I commend you, sir. Uh, now, let's. you want to talk a little bit about religion? Because I have, a, I have a, a small religious story as an opening thing before we get into our topics de choix. Oh, then uh, by all means, please share. You know how I've been, uh, how I like Survivor, right? Oh yeah, that's right. You're the worst TV show, and you love it. Why do you Why do you like Survivor again? Explain well, it to me. Well, first, let me explain this. That is very liberating, not having you around, shitting on all the things that you don't like, so I can you Aww. know watch movies that you don't give a shit about, watch TV shows that you don't care about, without having to listen to a constant. This is stupid. Why are you watching this stupid thing? Stupid, stupid, stupid. So that's very. Does that nice. really sound like me? Come on now. Yeah, it doesn't sound. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I'm watching Survivor, uh, going back through a couple of the old seasons because it's good background noise when you got a bunch of stuff to do. Uh, you sit down with your laptop and you have that in the background, and you have something that you can do that's easy enough to follow, and it works quite well. This season that I'm watching now has a Christian talk show radio host on it. 
Really? Yeah, she's like an evangelical. <laughs> What's she like? So far, well, here's the thing. Like, this is literally, I've, I've only seen the first half hour of the first episode thus far, but she's already, she's already bailed out on the, on the, on the Chinese Buddhist, Buddhist ceremony that they set up to welcome them to China. She like bailed out. She's like, this feels like heresy. <laughs> And, uh, and then she's, you know, everything that happens, like when it starts to rain, she's like, it's God opening up the sky. So I look forward to her getting voted off quite, uh, quite soon because everybody's going to be like, whoo, she's crazy. <laughs> well, who knows, man? Don't you secretly want her to stay as long as possible because she just adds that extra bit of entertainment? I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll see. It might, it might just be annoying, but who knows? Maybe it'll be a completely different situation where she, where she'll end up like that chick from the mist. Uh, where she where she converts everybody and everybody starts talking about blood sacrifice. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably likely to happen. We'll put we'll put that at about a forty percent chance that she establishes some kind of weird cult, mm. uh, Christian cult over there, and uh, and then we start. It's the first season where people begin disappearing. I don't know. Usually people like that go pretty quickly. Uh, so you know, ask me in a week. I'll tell you how she's doing, and she'll probably be gone. Uh, this week on the show, we got three big topics uh, to cover. The first one is uh, there's a spiritual fitness test that the Army has devised. So that we're going to be talking about that a lot because it's, well, as you can guess, really fucked up. We're also going to talk about this hilarious article that I found on uh, Chick.com. If you don't remember who Jack Chick is, he's the guy that has all of those Chick tracks, like the crazy evangelical uh, tracks that tell you basically that everyone's going to hell. If you've ever and read a comic book about about your 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 being tricked into being a devil worshipper by playing Dungeons and Dragons and and you're going to hell and people are going to rape you in in satanic occult rituals, that was Jack Chick. Yeah, exactly. And the last thing that we're going to be talking about also is uh, this new information that's just come out in Ireland. Basically, a letter that was signed by the Vatican that uh, was instructing bishops not to talk about the sexual abuse to police officers. Is this so, another uh, one? or, or No, is... this is a new one. This is basically just, just came out. This is the most recent letter that said, shut your fucking mouth. But just the latest one. <laughs> yeah, just the latest uh, in a series of them. But first, let's talk about the, the spiritual fitness test that's been going on now. Um, I don't know if you're aware, basically the, there's an organization called the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, and what they basically do is they try to get uh, the army to not be as religious as it is, which unfortunately they fail at. And it's not because they don't try hard. It's just because anybody who's ever been in the army realizes this, this is a massive religious institution now. You cannot go there and not be inundated at all times by religious douchebags that try to force you in believing in a very specific form of Christianity, as you guessed it, the most frightening form, evangelical Christianity. That's what the army has become now. And to try to compensate for the fact that a number of soldiers have been, oh, I don't know, blowing their fucking brains out uh, from excessive tours and not being treated very well upon their return, and there's no care, and a lot of them are getting paid, um, they decided to pay $125 million to this guy called Dr. Martin Siegelman, and he devised something called the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness uh, Test. And this is supposed to test you along a whole bunch of different sort of, uh, in, in a whole bunch of different ways, like your physical, your family, your mental, and of course, your spiritual, which is what everybody is sort of like going fucking apeshit about. Um, but you might recall uh, a little while ago that uh, there was a bunch of um, uh, a bunch of soldiers that had complained that they were being forced to attend services or forced to talk to chaplains and all this other kind of stuff. But now this is official. If you take this test and you say that you are not religious in your spiritual fitness test, they will force you to go talk to a chaplain. So this is official now. This is like you fucking fail this and. Now you got to go and fucking get indoctrinated. Well, I don't know if you can say it's official because it's not as down in the book. What happened is that somebody basically said that they, they, they failed the test. They failed the test, the spiritual portion of the test. And because that gets given to their superior officer, that superior officer, that particular one, ordered his, uh, his, his people to, to go talk to the chaplain. So official would be as soon as you fail it, you have to go see it. But this is just an example of 
it just getting worse, and uh, we're starting to see situations where this is actually happening, where where well, superior officers are are basically pushing guys into doing this. I want to I want to read the um, the letter in particular that it, that that appeared on the uh, MRF uh, F website because I think it's it's important to talk about for a couple reasons. First, I'll, I'll read the letter. I and everyone else who enlisted in my company was ordered by my battalion to take the GATS spiritual fitness test not very long ago. Let me make this clear. We were all ordered to take it. A bunch of us failed, and SFT, uh, and I guess that's his vision, whatever, uh, the, the, the spiritual fitness test, and we were told that our, uh, when we told that to our first sergeant, per his uh, disclosure order, he further ordered us to make immediate appointment with the chaplains so that we would not kill ourselves on his watch. None of us wanted to do it, but we were scared. Now, the other thing, too, about this test that's very important to, because uh, I don't think I mentioned, is that there's no anonymity in the tests. So it's it's obviously clear who passes it and who doesn't pass it. Now, you could say, well, it's not official, again, because there's there's nothing in the books to say, oh, well, you have to go talk to a chaplain. And, in fact, everybody who devised the test was like, oh, well, it's not overly religious. A spiritual uh, doesn't mean religious. And you're like, oh, well, the f- it's just fucking clever wordplay. I'll continue his letter. Two of my battle buddies, who I know are thinking of ending it all, were a million times worse after failing the spiritual fitness test and being called a spiritual failure and then ordered to go see Chaplin. I felt like a total coward for not standing up to my first sergeant, but I did what he told me to do. I was scared to tell him no. I think it's kind of funny that you have, like, the situation where already in the the, the structure of the army is designed so that people don't say no, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got a superior officer giving you a direct order to do something. And honestly, it's just a lot easier to go along with it than to raise a fuss or, or do anything else. Well, there's there's a lot of stories that talk about people who did try to stand up or, you know, whatever the chaplain would come in and everybody would have to start bowing their head in prayer. And the, and the people had, that didn't do it were, you know, pressured in a not subtle way by everyone say like, oh, you know, you have to become a Christian and you have to believe in God. Otherwise, we can't trust you. And and if you recall, like, I don't want to get all conspiracy theorists on everybody, but you remember Pat Tillman, right? You remember that uh, former NFL guy that went in the army and uh, the, his death was kind of like a mysterious circumstance? Yep. Well, there's there was there were certain rumors floating around that a big part of that was also because he was an atheist and that the friendly fire may have been connected to that in, in some way or another. Well, Pat we, Tillman's we, brother was actually on uh, Real Time with Bill Maher, and if you watch it, he doesn't say that outright, but the, he, he basically says that something's rotten in Denmark, and he blames specific people in Tillman's unit for basically, you know, he didn't say this out loud, but it sounded like he was practically accusing them of murdering his brother. Well, it happens, it, it does happen in the Army. I think it's called... Um, Oh, uh, what the hell is that called? When you kill a soldier because you think that he, he I, might post a problem later on? I just, I just know, I just know about the Code Red because I just rewatched A Few Good Men. <laughs> awesome movie, but it, that ain't a Code Red. Code Red's different. So yeah, Code Red's a little bit different. But there, there is this, there is kind of like the unspoken thing where some friendly fire is essentially, uh, let's pretend you got Sergeant Doofus who's going to just totally get you killed because he's a fucking idiot, and oh, lo and behold. I misfired my gun and I shot him in the back of the head. <laughs> Oops. Hey, it happens. Confusing things, confusing things happen in war. The thing I want to talk about, though, and this is the part, uh, I guess this is the part that not a lot of people were talking about, but this is, this is the really interesting part is who developed this. And I, I, I mentioned Dr. Martin uh, Siegelman, and he's better known as Dr. Happy, um, the the which is kind of an odd nomenclature considering some of the research he he did in the past, um, and and some of his research essentially led to the CIA's torture program. He came up with this theory called learned helplessness. Okay, and learned helplessness was devised when he began torturing dogs with electrical shocks in a room, and eventually, after a successive amount of of of, of electrocution, he allowed the dogs the opportunity to escape. And they didn't do it. They stayed inside because as far as they were concerned, they had become completely and utterly helpless due to the torture. So uh, Siegelman goes to the army, gives like a five hour lecture or sorry, the CIA gives a five hour lecture about it. And the next thing you know, the CIA devises an entire torture program based entirely on his 
theories. So the idea was, okay, we're going to torture these people until the whole Stockholm syndrome thing comes into effect and they don't even want to leave anymore and they almost thank us for whenever we're not torturing them. This is this guy. But the crazy thing about this guy is that that's not his only fucking theory. He he came up with this other thing um, that is essentially, I guess the best word that I can describe it is the happiness method. All right. He, he has his own kind of like version of it. He, he called it um, resilience training. OK. And under his under his he, he was paid, first of all, thirty one million dollars in a no bid contract for the army to develop this program. And this program is essentially kind of like one of those think happy thoughts uh, kind of thing. Like, for instance, uh, um, it, it, it asks that people redefine things in their lives in order for them to sound better in order for you to be able to be happy with the circumstances. You so can kind of imagine what I'm, where I'm going with this. Is it kind of like basically in order to asking you leading questions in order to try and solidify a concept in your head of, of how your life is? Well, it, no, it's more complicated than that. See, he trained a, a hundreds of drill sergeants to become what they called master resilience trainers. So what they would do is they would try to get people to um, toughen up. Maybe that's the best way that I can describe it. Uh, to be happier about their situation. And, you know, basically saying the, the implication here is that if you're unhappy, it's your fault, right? You weren't thinking happy enough thoughts. If you're depressed, then there's just something wrong. You, you need to take whatever you got that's a depression and you need to turn it around, right? He was even saying that post-traumatic stress syndrome uh, needed to be redefined in order for people to stop thinking that they were, uh, you know, uh, traumatized, and instead, look at that as a kind of growth opportunity. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's an interesting. It's an interesting theory. If if it was correct and it worked, it sounds like it could be kind of cool. But it doesn't really. It sounds like one of those theories that in practice probably doesn't work, considering the fact that hey, it's a lot of chemicals up there doing a lot of different things, and that's often part of the issue. More well, more more so than a person's attitude, chipper oh, yeah. or not. <laughs> You got to be chipper. Look, it's called positive psychology, and the whole the whole field has like zero scientific credibility behind it. In fact, most of the people at the American Psychological Association tell you that there's very little difference between that and most of the kind of you know power of positive thinking, uh, motivational books that are out there. And the, the the insidious thing about that is that it gives people the impression that if they're depressed or if they feel like stressed and all these other kinds of things, which is normal for people who have been in fucking Iraq and Afghanistan, all right? Um, it gives them the impression that it's their fault, that they're the ones who are feeling unhappy. So it actually literally does the opposite of what it's intended to do. Rather than make people feel happy, it makes them feel as though they're doing something wrong, which only further adds to the depression. And this is part of a program, this whole thing, this spiritual training fitness program thing. They paid one hundred and twenty five fucking million dollars for this program. One hundred and twenty five million dollars. Now, you don't think that maybe they could have done use that money for something maybe. Oh, I don't know, like improved uh, health care for soldiers coming back. You know, like that's a huge problem now. I guess the army has decided that it doesn't really want to pay for, uh, you know, medical treatment of the soldiers that they send out. They're just like, no, we're just going to let the power of positive thinking heal you. We're just like, going to put $125 million into the soldier fitness tracker, which, I mean, if you look at it, uh, you know, it, it's floating around there. You, go, you Google soldier fitness tracker and you'll see the questionnaire and, it, and it's, it's the stupidest test ever. I mean, we've all seen those, those quizzes where it's basically you got you got a stupid question, a vague question, and then it asks you to to judge it from like I very strongly agree to that that, that this applies to me, or I very strongly disagree that it that it does. And some of the questions that they ask, like the the spiritual part of it, one of the questions, I'm a very spiritual person. Another one, I often find comfort in my religion or spiritual beliefs. Another one, in difficult times, I pray or meditate. And, of course, the kicker, I attend religious services. I mean, how more straightforward do you have to be just kind of probing into seeing whether or not somebody is a good Christian or not and then failing you based on if you if you do poorly in it? It's it's quite funny, too, that they have this impression that, oh, if you have spiritual fitness, uh, you're going to be less suicidal 
Uh, I don't really see any correlation. And they don't, of course, they don't need to prove this. They, you know, everybody just buys that bullshit. Oh, if you're religious, uh, you're, you're already happier. I'm like, no, like all of the evidence that shows that people are happier are those that are part of social groups. It has nothing to do with religion and everything to do with, oh, I don't know, you're a social ape and you need to be in social circumstances, otherwise you feel depressed. What a fucking mystery. Oh, who knew? Who fucking knew, right? The worst part, too, uh, is this, uh, you know, you have, the, the, the problem is real. There are soldiers that are fucking killing themselves because, you know, they're, they're all fucked up. They come back, they see their best friends getting killed or shot. They're in constant situations of stress. And meanwhile, I mean, think about the irony of the fact that the same psychologist, all right, who says that you can essentially use um, torture or, or physical distress to change and alter the behavior of someone. So this is not something that is, is, is being thought up of by the dog. This is a direct consequence of the stimulus that is being induced. And at the same time say, oh, the power of your brain, the power of your positive thinking will remove all of this negative programming that's been happening. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like this, like, are you insane? You, you, you think that if you put a mammal in a situation where he's constantly being attacked, constantly afraid that he's going to die, and he sees his friends and loved ones getting murdered, uh, you don't think that that's going to have some kind of effect that maybe happy-go-lucky, positive thinking can't fucking cure? I mean, unbelievable. Okay, Luke, you want to move on? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, first off, maybe we just want to... I mean, obviously, it's a stupid program. Uh, probably one of the bigger, well, not one of the bigger issues, but one of the side issues as far as relating to atheism goes is just the fact that it is quite creepy uh, that uh, evangelical Christianity is kind of getting bigger and bigger in the army. Now, religion has always been around, but I just want to point out, you know, uh, evangelical Christianity is a whole different beast, and it's very aggressive because what's the point? What, what, what is the definition of being an evangelical? Um, well, I guess it's 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 uh, being a uh, essentially a fundamentalist. Evangelical Christians no, are no, proselytizing I mean, exactly. Christians. They they go out and they their whole purpose is to recruit and to alter the the, the politics of the state. The, the re, this is just a manifestation of what's been happening over the past twenty years, which essentially the religious right has been taking active steps to essentially take over branches of government and take over branches of the army, the military, because. Why, why wouldn't they want to do this? It's obvious that if they're like, if we can control the army and we can control the government, we control this country. And the results are fucking obvious. And, and, and how frightening, how scary is it, the thought of an all-evangelical army? I mean, you, they might as well fucking paint that red cross right on the goddamn uh, jackets. The, 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 the excuse, I mean, I find it kind of funny. They, they always kind of pussyfoot around the issue of being like, oh, no, this is not overtly religious and blah, blah, blah. When it really is, everybody will tell you that it is. Even religious people are frightened by that stuff. You know, Catholics, Presbyterians, Unitarians, all of these people, they're afraid of the evangelical Christians because they don't believe in the same Christianity. But that's the Christianity that's dominating. Why? Because they have programs, literal programs in their schools that are meant to send kids over to political institutions or to encourage them to join the army to be soldiers of Christ. How fucking scary is that? And it's only going to get worse. Another 20 years, there's not going to be anybody but evangelical Christians in there. And then who knows what the fuck they're going to do with that. So let's look forward to a highly sophisticated and powerful army being dominated by evangelical Christians. Well, hey, I'm not freaking out about it yet because we're not we're not close to being there and who knows what's going to happen between now and then. But it's definitely something worrisome. And I think, you know, as far as this is this is one thing that I wanted to kind of bring up as far as, you know, atheist uh, to do lists. And and, you know, all atheists, we we're not really bound together by all that much. We, just just the idea that we all agree that God uh, doesn't exist. And other than that, we have a whole bunch of different ways of going about expressing our atheism. Some people are saying, oh, I've got to get that nativity scene out of City Hall. And meanwhile, I'm thinking maybe we should make like a bit of a, you know, an atheist to-do list and, and kind of rank things in order of importance. So rather than trying to like get a cross taken out of a national park, we might want to maybe look at the evangelical movement in the military. So in 20 years, 
maybe it, it isn't a scary, uh, I don't know, uh, army like you were suggesting. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're right. I think I think a list and just a priority list of saying, well, which one sounds like it's more important? Getting in God we trust uh, off the off the money, or making sure that your army doesn't become essentially a a branch of uh, evangelical Christianity. So a fundamentalist uh, yeah. army, a fundamentalist army. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Why are people terrified of of Islam? Well, I'll tell you what. There's a lot of freaking similarities. <laughs> well, what, what's scary is that they really believe their shit and they're willing to do anything to uh, make it happen. That's why they're scary. Okay, let's move on. Let's let's talk about some Christian apologetics. I, I read this on Chick dot uh, Chick com, uh, but it's uh, it's actually from a different website. But it doesn't matter where it's from. It's just a Christian apologetics. And essentially, what they were trying to do is they were trying to point out all the fallacies of Islam. And I'm I'm, I'm going to read the best ones. And we don't have to go into too much details about them, but I think that you'll find them funny as I read them aloud to you. Uh, and and because I don't I don't really disagree with the list of fallacies, but it's quite hilarious the fact that they, they seem completely blind to the fact that they do this as well. So we'll start with the first one, which is what they call the fallacy of false assumption, which is to say in logic as well as in law, historical precedent means that the burden of proof rests on those who set forth new theories and not on those whose ideas have already been verified. <laughs> you know, it, 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 to tell you the truth, Muslims have a better argument than we do because Muhammad was a real person. Well, Jesus, it's still like the jury is out, man. Yeah, it's true. But I, I, I love this whole thing is that the burden of proof rests on those who make new theories. I'm like, um, not just new theories. The burden of proof is on those who make all theories. If you make a theory, you have to prove it. Uh, which leads me to their second ar- argument, which is usually how Christians decide that they're going to prove their own theories. Arguing in a circle. If you have already assumed in your premise what you're going to state in your conclusion, then you have ended where you began and proved nothing. And their example is proving Allah by the Quran and then proving the Quran by Allah. Uh, can we replace God and, uh, with, uh, or Allah with God and Quran with Bible here? And it's the same thing. <laughs> it's like, what? But it's a good point. I mean, uh, we're not going to deny that. That's an excellent point. Thank you for pointing out that fallacy. Uh, the second one is the fallacy of uh, irrelevance, where you introduce issues that have no logical bearing on the subject under discussion. You're using irrelevant arguments. And, for instance, the argument saying that the Quran is the perfect word of God because it proves itself to be a, because it has been preserved perfectly. Now, that's a bit of a variation on the parts that we've heard about the Bible saying, well, it's the literal word of God, and it's perfect, and it's flawless. And I'm like, of course it's not. <laughs> You've just already uh, assumed that. But, hey, the fallacy of irrelevance, it still applies to them. I love, that, the, arg- I love that argument, too, because, uh, because there's a lot of stupid stuff in all the holy books, and as soon as anybody says that a, a book is perfect, it's like, oh, you just shot yourself in the foot, dog. Well, how many times have I had debates with people? I remember when all the Jehovah Witnesses came by, and uh, I remember there was this one part that I, I, I kind of caught the guy who was trying to convert me in, in, a, bit of a, in a bit of a pickle, because I, I told him, I said, well, uh, what is the biggest proof that you believe in God? And he says, the Bible. And I said, okay, well, you do believe there was a time where there was no Bible, right? Like, even you have to admit, it had to be written. The Bible wasn't written before human beings were around. It was written after. And he's like, yes. So I said, okay, so with no Bible around, would you have believed in God? His answer was, well, the Bible. (laughs) I see. Yeah, don't answer my question. Uh, Okay, the next one is the fallacy of force. I love this one. The Quran commands Muslims to wage war against non-Muslims and apostates. Some Muslims use a false analogy to answer the argument. They respond by saying, well, what about the Crusades? You Christians use violence just like Muslims. The logical, uh, it is logically erroneous to set up a parallel between Muslims killing people in obedience to the Quran and Christians people killing in dis- disobedience to the Bible. While the Quran commands jihad, the New Testament forbids it. Uh, yeah, uh, I suppose that the New Testament doesn't actually get into any details about genocide. Although uh, it is quite hilarious that Christians always like to ignore the Old Testament that's still part of their Bible. I'm like, oh, well, what about the sacking of Jericho? Uh, what about sort of like the murder of uh, the firstborn children of, uh, of every Egyptian? What about the commandments to smash dead babies against rocks uh, that you eviscerated out of pregnant women? 
yeah, you know, your book doesn't command anyone to murder anyone. So what were the Crusaders doing this whole time, huh? <laughs> yeah, Jesus had some whoppers in there, too. Uh, there's a couple of quotes in there that, that really set the stage for some bad stuff. Oh, yeah, like the uh, anyone who doesn't believe me, then uh, bring them forward and uh, they shall die by the sword or I forget the exact quote. I mean, that doesn't exactly sound like a condemnation of genocide. It kind of sounds like, hmm, well, if you don't agree with what I said, I will murder you. <laughs> it obviously puts people onto a different level where it's like you have believers and then you have non-believers. And what happens to non-believers is not that big of a concern. Yeah, exactly. Um, here's the part that I love, too. Okay, So at the end of all the arguments, I didn't include all of them because I didn't want to go into a huge thing about all the logical fallacies. You can check it out. There'll be a link for it in the, in the notes. But I love the conclusion because the conclusion sums up everything nicely. Um, because it, it makes sense up until the last sentence. So I'll read it to you. The average Muslim has been deceived by Muslim apologists who use such logical fallacy without regards to reason, fact, or honesty. I agree. But there are many Muslims who want to be rational in their religion and thus have an open mind to rational discourse. Once they see that their arguments are based on logical fallacies, they will be open to the wonderful news that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for our sins on the cross. <laughs> I'm like, way to really set that up. Yeah, if they can accept that they have believed in logical fallacies, then they can accept this logical fallacy. <laughs> Man, I love it. I love it. I, I, it's, it, it always kind of strikes me as, you know, uh, strange and ironic whenever you have these religious people who write about fallacies of other religions. I mean, surely, do they not know? Are they unaware if you replace Muslim with Christian and Quran with Bible, you have your own arguments. You can't even refute them because they're true. <laughs> yeah, monothe monotheistic religions generally follow uh, some pretty standard paths. And I see a lot of similarities between Christianity and, and Islam. And people, you know, obviously Islam, see, or at least the people who follow Islam in a lot of places are living in a, in a bit of a different time than us. Uh, but... You only have to go back 150 years for the Christians to be burning women at the stake. You don't have to go yeah. back that far. And it's still happening in Africa. They are still doing fucked up stuff. Just over on the other side, uh, where you are, you're in the DR, you're in the Dominican Republic. Right next door in Haiti, you've got Christians killing witches. <laughs> I am living very close to, uh, to that kind of sick religious murder and uh which and they're very proud of it too they're just like well we're really doing god's work and and the and the bible's very clear that you should burn witches it's very clear it says burn witches so we're doing it and this is what i always laugh about whenever somebody uses the word fundamentalist i want to i want that word to be gone i want us to use the word originalist you know because i think that's fair because for us when we look, think about fundamentalism we think about extremism because the, the word association has been made. But they're not extremists. They're originalists. They just believe in the good old religion of yore. And they're, they're, they're following the same commandments and tenets that their ancestors did. They just decided, fuck this whole ethics and, uh, you know, modern uh, view of the world bullshit. We, we, all, of this, all of the decisions were made thousands of years ago. This is the best way for humans to live, and we're going to express that, and we're just going to do it. So anytime you see that and you'd be like, wow, how can they be so barbaric? I'm like, that's how they've always been. You just live in a fucking bubble. It's like, oh, sure, for the past, uh, you know, 50 or 100 years where there's been the Enlightenment and where we've had, like, modern ethics and philosophy, things have improved. Yeah, they haven't improved because of religion. They've improved despite religion. But there's still going to be people who believe in that old school religion, and uh, there's nothing you can do to debate them. I was laughing at all these moderates who are like, oh, well, uh, you know, that's not my religion. That's just the one that you've chosen. You know, you've picked and choose what parts of the Bible, what parts of your religion you were going to follow. And they did, too. And they did a fucking better job at it. Because religion blows. It's just that you're, you're on religion light. It has fewer calories and fewer genocides. But they still fucking happen. It's the same product, and the money still goes to the same corporation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Speaking of evil corporations, let's talk about the Vatican. Now, you might recall, I was watching this documentary that you downloaded, What the Pope Knew. Did you watch that, by the way? What the Pope Knew. Uh, you know, it's strange. I don't think I did. I'll have to get it again. 
anyways, it's not a very good uh, documentary. It's made by CNN, but it's pretty fucking milk toast. And they're just talking about what uh, Ratzinger, uh, you know, what he knew and what he tried to do in order to be able to combat um, uh, basically, the, 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 you know, child molesters being essentially protected by the Vatican. Oh, yeah, I did watch that. And they interviewed the Pope's, like, secretary, and the secretary was was trying to ex- trying to explain away why none of these pedophile priests were being defrocked. And he was like, well, you know, it was a, we, uh, you have to understand that the paperwork gets filed in a certain way, and we have petitioned so that the paperwork will be dealt with differently. And they're like, and, and, and people wonder why we get upset. Um, it's child rape. And these motherfuckers are talking about procedure. <laughs> and meanwhile, you know, they, they can't they can't get rid of priests who uh, get, who who bring in female uh, priests. They can't they can't act fast enough to get rid of anything relating to uh, to people talking about safe sex and condoms. But oh, well, uh, child rape. Yeah, it's, oh. uh, you got to understand it takes a while. It's paperwork, man. Oh, yeah, it's paperwork. They eliminated limbo. In a weekend, okay, they eliminated a fundamental core of their dogma, the place where unbaptized babies go when they die. They just got rid of it. Or, or, or the most hilarious thing, too, is in, in, in light of watching the documentary where there was like, oh, there's all this paperwork. Benedict, okay, because normally when a pope dies or anybody else that's religious dies, there's a kind of five-year grace period before they can try to be uh, uh, beautified, before they become saints. Yep. Well, he just got rid of that. Benedict was just like, boom, for John Paul II's ascension, he was just like, nope, that rule is now gone. But, oh, yeah, there's lots of paperwork when trying to deal with the canon law regarding child rapists. It's very complicated. There's lots of things to file. I'm like, you have an institution where a man is given absolute authority and apparently infallibility. doesn't sound like it's that hard. Be like, you're the supreme chief. You say... Stop it, and let's prosecute these people. I mean, it's quite obvious the fact that they've never wanted to do this. But the recent letter that's come out in Ireland, I mean, you know what Ireland's like right now. I mean, that Murphy report that was released that just uh, detailed all the sex abuse that had been going on and the physical abuse. Um, Once that sort of came out, the floodgates opened up, and as victims have been seeking compensation directly from the Vatican, they've been digging as deep as they can to try to find proof that the Vatican was knowingly telling bishops not to report these crimes. I mean, there was the there was that letter that was sent by Ratzinger saying that, you know, urging them to, to not talk about it for a period of 18 years, uh, 10 years past their 18th birthday, which is just the exact amount of time that the statute of limitation on rape expires. But in this particular letter, the one that just came out, it was it was released in 1997 and it was signed by the Archbishop Luciano Asterero, who is John Paul II's diplomat in Ireland, the letter instructs, and it's, it's, a, it's an edict directly from the Vatican, instructs the bishops that, they are, uh, that anybody who reports suspected crimes uh, gives rise to serious reservations of both a moral and canonical nature. They're basically saying, you can't say shit. This has to be dealt internally. You, no police are, supposed, are, are to be involved. And, of course, we've seen the way that the Vatican dealt with things internally, didn't we? Yeah, they just kind of hushed it up and moved people around. Yep, they moved them around so that they could get some fresh meat, essentially, is what it is. And, of course, they always, you know, they've they've taken the position uh, that, um, I think the most interesting position the Vatican's ever taken is like, well, these people are not technically our employees. We can't tell them what to do. Because they work for themselves, and they just pay a kind of, dividends if you want like they pay a certain percentage of their income back to the church so they're not technically our employees they can do whatever they want which is a complete lie because they tell they they mentioned in that letter that i was talking about the the um the one that was written by ratzinger when he was in the congregation of the doctrine of the faith which is the inquisition it's the renamed version of the inquisition but nevertheless that letter said that anybody who would talk to um, police officers or 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 or, or lawmen, uh, you know, lawmen would face excommunication. Now, if you if you're a believing Catholic, you actually literally believe in that bullshit. Uh, excommunication is kind of bad. You know, it's kind it's, of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. It's essentially the biggest deal. 
And it's quite funny, too, that there has yet to be any of these child rapists, by the way, that have ever been excommunicated, even upon their death. They haven't even excommunicated the very people that the bishops would have been uh, fucking exposing to police officers. So the, the, the greater crime in terms of canonical law is to actually call the police rather than rape children. I don't know. It, it's hard. It's hard to be surprised about this. Or, and, and it, you know, we, we went through we did all of those podcasts back when this shit was like at a, at a, at a boiling pitch uh, over the summer. It really got hot and heavy. And it seemed like people were ready to freak out and just just tear down some walls. And then Michael Jackson died. And uh, and uh, that really worked out well for the Pope and the Catholic Church, because since then, all this new information, it's not like everything kept rolling. It basically it, it, it's, it was like game over, start back at the beginning of the game. And now we got to build ourselves back up to a point where we feel outraged enough for anything to happen, because nothing has changed. There's there's no differences in anything that's going on. You know what I found that was the craziest, though, when I was reading the article about um, about this new letter, is that they were saying that of the 14,000 abuse claimants dating back to the 1940s, and of the $2 billion that was, uh, that was dispensated uh, to victims, the majority was actually paid by Irish taxpayers and not by the church. So, in other words, taxpayers paid relief monies to victims of sexual abuse by priests. So the church didn't even pay. It hasn't even paid any money, practically. Wow, that's just, that just, God, if you're Irish, I would be vomiting in rage. <laughs> <laughs> just out, out of my nose and my mouth, it, I would just be, it just, just, it, that's, that's, that's unbelievable. I think it's also quite funny that this is, this is just on the eve of, that, like I was saying before, where Pope John Paul II has already been given one miracle on the you need two miracles to become a saint um, journey. So he's was, basically waiting for another person to step up and lie and uh, tell some bullshit story about how he did something miraculous. Pretty much. Uh, the, the, the first woman was a French nun who claimed that she was cured of Parkinson's disease. Um, we'll see if that's actually true. <laughs> Will we? Will we really? Do you think that uh, do you think that they're really going to investigate that thoroughly and, and and you know be objective about it? Well, it's kind of hard to hide. You know, she might it might be uh, it, it might not be as hardcore as it may may have been for a couple of years, but it's, it doesn't go away. Uh, it doesn't go. It stays with you. So she's not healed. Of course, by the time that that comes out, it won't even matter. And, uh, and, and of course, John Paul II will be added to the gigantic pantheon of over 5,000 saints. Now, you, we, we talk about, we joke about polytheism, right, the, the belief in multiple gods. But Christianity has to be the most hilarious monotheistic religion. Because at least in Islam, there's only one god, and that's just all they deal with, right? Everybody else is just kind of like, they're human. Even Muhammad, they don't view as divine. They're just like, he was a human being. He's not a god or any of those kinds of things. Nobody prays to Muhammad or whatever. But plenty of people pray to the 5,000 or so fucking uh, saints who supposedly have the, the, the ability to act as a liaison between you and God. So they're like demigods. You pray to them and you'll get things, things that you want solved that will be more likely to happen. And uh, I made a list of, uh, of some of the most hilarious, uh, let's just say, saints, patron saints. Because when you become a saint, you're given kind of like uh, a patronage, depending on your history. Right? So if you did something that was, I don't know, related to, well, we'll get into that. We'll get into what, who, who was related to what. But you, you can be given even some of the most arbitrary and ridiculous uh, patronages that uh, presumably people pray for. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll begin with the first one. Saint Maurice was the patron saint of Alpine troops. So if you're an Alpine trooper, you can pray to Saint Maurice and hopefully he'll make your combat more effective. I don't quite know what the fuck he'd be doing. <laughs> uh, here's, a, here's a good one. Uh, the patron saint, uh, uh, Saint uh, Amalberga, is the patron saint against arm pain. Arm pain. Yeah, arm pain. 
So if you have some arm pain, I don't know, maybe you banged it somewhere. Do you and, figure? And do you figure he? That's like carpal tunnel as well. Because I, I could definitely, I could definitely pray to him. Because uh, I swear it's like I don't even know how my hands are going to be hanging off my wrists when I'm 50 because already I've got some uh, some of that action going on. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think you could include it. It's very generic. There's the next one. It was Magnus of Fusen, who uh, is the patron saint against caterpillars. So if you have a pro- if you have a caterpillar problem, then uh, he's your he's your patron saint that uh, will have the uh, will act as a liaison. I like that one. That one's like an old school one. Back when it's like caterpillars are eating my shit, we're gonna die. <laughs> it was back in the day when nature could really fuck your crap up. It's true, but now I mean, you look at a caterpillar, and what's everybody's reaction? Oh, they're cute, and they've been fuzzy and what have you, purdy. But if you hate them, then Magnus of Fusen is the man for you. Here's my favorite one: uh, the patron saint, saint against losing your keys, Saint Zita of Luca. And uh, I was reading the history of her because there's a whole site if you uh, about all the patron gods. Again, it's in the notes, um, so check it out. Basically, the story of this saint is that she wasn't really that good at anything except for taking care of other people's keys. So they made her the patron saint of keys. If you lost your keys, you can pray to her. How did she even become a saint then? Well, she was just a nun. She was just a nun. Doesn't sound like a very good nun. Well, her whole thing was that she gave uh, people, poor people, food. So I guess they felt that that was saintly behavior and therefore decided that since she didn't do anything interesting other than that, and trust me, you don't need to be a fucking saint to give people who are hungry food. You just need to be a good person. Uh, but she was also entrusted with keys, and she did, uh, she did a good job there. So <laughs> if you lost your keys, then, uh, then, then, then St. Zita of Luca is your gal. Uh, okay, the next one is the patron saint of ammunition magazines, and against explosions, and that's Saint Barbara. She's also the patron saint of firemen, but uh, ammunition magazines and ammunition workers also benefit from this patron saint. So she, she seems like a pretty busy one as far as wartime type things, because she's also the patron saint of uh, against death by artillery. So it seems like she's got a really good grasp on a lot of stuff that soldiers are worried about. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I think it's just that goes in line with the whole explosions things. And the reason why she's that patron saint is that apparently um, uh, she was I think she was murdered. And there was like a lightning strike that killed some of the people that were responsible for the execution. So she she got a bit of a reputation boost due to that unfortunate uh, happenstance. (laughs) Uh, okay, the next one is Saint uh, uh, Eustachius, who is the patron saint of difficult situations. So if you're ever in a very awkward situation where you've been, oh, I don't know, um, caught with your hand in the cookie jar, then the patron saint of difficult situation may be the one that you want to pray to. Hmm. Here's a good one. This one's for us. This is Saint Sebastian. He is the patron saint of enemies of religion. And he also turns out to be the patron saint of the plague. So I don't know if there's anything related to that, how maybe enemies of religion are like the plague or what have you. Uh, but, yes, he, that is his patron saintness. Odd. <laughs> I think he's also the patron saint of archery because he was, uh, he was tied to a tree, and they tried to execute him using a bow and arrows, which he survived, and then he was just beaten to death. So... That sounds great. That that sounds like a really good, uplifting story. And they fired the arrows at him, and they did pierce his skin, but he did not die, for God was with him. So they beat him to death, and then God left. <laughs> and then he became a patron saint of the plague. <laughs> and the last one, here's my favorite one, uh, in terms of the recent allegations we're talking about. The patron saint of child abuse is Saint uh, Alodia. So if, if you were one of the victims of the church and their systematic cover-up of child abuse, at least you can take some comfort in knowing that there's a patron saint that can try to answer your prayers and fail to do so. Lovely, lovely. My favorite one was the patron saint of over, uh, against to help you for, with your oversleeping problem. That was Vitus. That's a big problem for me. And uh, Oversleeping? <laughs> yeah. And then Ambrose of Milan, who is the patron saint of beekeepers. So I don't know how useful that is, but... 
Any beekeepers out there, that's your man. Well, bees can sting, so I guess you kind of, like, pray and say, please, demigod, allow me not to get stung, because it's an unpleasant process. Okay, you know what? I think we'll wrap up the show with that. Uh, and uh, and any of you guys that are curious about the site, go to the notes. We include it on all the uh, podcasts. Uh, I think I'm going to put a post about that uh, also tomorrow because I want people to go on and pick their favorite uh, patron saints that are just so ridiculous. Because like I said before, there are thousands, literally thousands of these uh, people, and their stories are quite ridiculous. And uh, and just just the whole the whole thing is just a stupid mess that's just enjoyable for uh, our, us, us, the sarcastic ones. And we'd also like to thank everybody who's, uh, who's a contributing member of the show that listens to the bonus podcast. If you love the show and you want to hear more, you want to get two shows a week, then you can become a, uh, uh, a patron for $20 a year. That's how much we ask for. It's not very much. So uh, you can go onto the site, click on the members button, and you will see, uh, if you're not already a member, you'll see all the membership options. You can also sign up for the free membership, which uh, once in a while we give uh, bonus shows as a way to entice you to become a patron as well. So you might as well, uh, if you don't even want to give us any money, you cheapskates. <laughs> all right, with that, my name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Have a good atheist day, everybody. <laughs>